Welcome into an emergency edition of the Yachts and Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Prame, Eric Scopel on the show, and we have breaking news. And when we have breaking news, it usually means I'm unavailable. Um, and like <laughs> clockwork, Andy Avalos has reportedly accepted the job to become the next head coach of the Boise State Broncos. That is, according to BJ Rains, one of the beat writers over in Boise. Uh, I want to make sure that I get it correctly. Um, I think it's the Boise Tribune. Is that right? It's the Idaho Press. Idaho Press. I'm not even close. Um, <laughs> <laughs> BJ Reigns of the Idaho Press has reported that Andy Avalos is now off to Boise State, back again after two years in Oregon. And are we surprised, Eric? Like, once Kellen Moore decided to not take the job, it, it really feels like Avalos was the logical, the hire that made the most sense from them, for their perspective. Yeah, I, I always kind of felt like it was going to be more Avalos just based upon both of them being stars from the Broncos and, and for the Broncos, I should say, when they played at Boise State. And I think if there's anything I'm surprised about, it's maybe just the timing of this in terms of like it yeah. was – we, we, this was a hot button topic about seven to eight days ago, maybe more, 10 days ago. And I know Boise State had to make and you know, had to hire a new athletic director. They've done that. They had some other things to sort out um, in the process. I believe they all, I think they had hired, or I should say they interviewed four candidates on Tuesday of this week. And so the process, I guess, got started slower than we anticipated. Um, so, like, if anything, I'm more surprised by the timing of this than I am that Andy Avalos' time at Oregon is over. And once Kellen Moore pulled his name out of this race about – probably about a week ago, um, it kind of felt to me like, okay, it's probably going to be Andy Avalos. But there were three other names that were mentioned that were interviewed for this job, and you just don't know. So – I think the timing of it's more surprising than the fact that Oregon is now having to look for a new defensive coordinator. Um, it, we should start off by just saying good for Andy. I mean, we've spent yeah. time getting yeah. to know him the last couple of years. Super nice guy. Really, really smart. Did a heck of a job um, as a defensive coordinator at Oregon. Totally turned things around the, the way that the defense finished this year. That was clearly the brightest spot on the entire team was the defense to close the season. Obviously, didn't start out as good. Um, you can now say there's a mini – coaching tree developing yep for Mario Cristobal right I mean like back-to-back yep. -back years Andy Avalos and, and obviously Marcus Arroyo last year go and take head coaching jobs at you know non-power five schools but but good pro I mean decent programs obviously Boise State's a lot Boise State's the best power five the non I I think Boise State is the best group of five school um among those programs that they dominate recruiting in the Mountain West they've got decent to good facilities They've got a history of winning against the big boys. I mean, they've beaten Oregon multiple times. Um, you know, you look at this and he's getting a job that is probably his dream job. And that, that's what we said from the very beginning on the, on duckterritory.com and on this podcast that Avalos probably doesn't take that job unless it's his, his job. Like this is the job you've grown up wanting to have. You're, this is your dream job. This is one of like the three or four schools that calls and if they offer you the job, you take it. Um, I'm sure it was difficult to leave Oregon because he's had tremendous success as the defensive coordinator for, for the Ducks. Um, and he's playing or he's coaching 
a level of talent that he's never had before. Um, and now the, the question becomes for him, can he, can he continue that? Can he kind of elevate the standard at Boise a little bit so that they can compete with and get some of those caliber of recruits um, at, at Boise? Now, obviously, like, this is not a Boise-centric podcast. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> this is an Oregon-centric one. Um, positive here. Two, you just said it, two years in a row now, Mario Cristobal has had a coordinator leave to become a head coach. I think it's safe to assume that Joe Moorhead, the next job he has will probably be a head coaching job. Um, I would be pretty shocked if he took a unilateral job somewhere else. And, and if he does, it's because Oregon struggles. Um, or maybe he goes to the NFL, which would be considered a promotion. Um, I don't, you know, I, I look at this and this is good for Oregon. And yes, the immediate return is, well, Oregon now for the second time in, in, in three years is going to need to have a new defensive coordinator for the third time in what, five years, they're going to need to have a defense, a new defensive coordinator. Uh, but the fact that Oregon can go out now and say, Hey, look, if, if you want to come and you want to be a head coach, if you want to have high success, if you want to be uh, a, a, a coach that, truly has a path to the highest level of our profession at the college level, which is becoming a head coach. You need to come here because we're starting to develop not only, you know, elite players, but now we're developing a pipeline, you know, of developing head coaches. Exactly. And this is, this is the sign of a healthy program. When you lose coordinators to head coaching jobs, when you see coaches that every off season are desirable to other programs, that's what you want. And like, Obviously, this doesn't help Oregon in the short term in the slightest. I mean, this is, this is a – let's put it this way. This is the best coach Oregon has lost under Mario Cristobal, and I don't know how close it is for a second. I mean, you can say Dante Williams from a recruiting perspective was a significant loss. I don't – I think Oregon upgraded at offensive coordinator with more head over Marcus Arroyo. I think it's hard-pressed to see people disagree. It's going to be difficult for Oregon to upgrade – the defensive coordinator position. I, I just think flat out. Um, but like big picture here, this is a sign of like, Hey, Oregon has coaches on its staff that not only do Oregon coaches and, and, and those around the program think are really good, but those around the country think are really good. And now Andy Avalos has a chance to become, uh, I think a really good head coach and maybe at some point even leave his alma mater and go somewhere bigger. Um, and that's a good thing for this program. Again, Mario Cristobal has his own little coaching tree that is developing here, and um, that's a very positive thing in terms of just the, the health of the program. But the, the next order of business here, obviously, Matt, and what we, I think, need to delve into a little bit is, like, what does Oregon do now? And, like, let's start – actually, yeah. before we even go into who might they hire, like, should we be concerned about Andy possibly taking anybody from his staff at Oregon with him? Like, could this be a um, ripple effect? There could be, there, there could be a ripple effect. Like, uh, first of all, I wouldn't be surprised if Andy maybe takes like, um, a secondary strength coach, you know, like, a uh, I, if you're unfamiliar, okay. Aaron Feld leads the strength and conditioning program for the Oregon Ducks. Um, he's not going, he would not leave Oregon for Boise state. That would be like a colossal upset, amazing pull for Andy Alvarez. They can't afford 
uh, even to pay a strength coach that much money. But like Ashad Williams, uh, who is an assistant strength and conditioning coach, he probably has aspirations. Hey, I want to run my own program. And it would not surprise me in the slightest if a guy like that goes over, and I'm not hearing Shad Williams is going to go that. I'm just using that as an example. Uh, you know, Marcus Arroyo did the same thing um, when he hired one of uh, Oregon's assistant strength and conditioning coaches uh, when he got the UNLV job. Um, Arroyo brought a couple, you know, recruiting department guys with him. Uh, he hired a couple GAs that were at Oregon. And I do believe Oregon has a couple GAs that are about up with their eligibility in terms of being a GA. You're only allowed to be a GA for three years. Um, I do believe Oregon has like an offensive line GA. And I believe there's a defensive uh, GA as well um, that that's up in the air right now. Like it wouldn't surprise me if one of those coaches goes over. Um, maybe he hires an analyst like Nate Costa is an offensive analyst for the Oregon Ducks right now, former Oregon quarterback. That was a guy that's, you know, highly sought after. You know, Avalos could go and say, hey, I want you to be my quarterback's coach uh, and, and, you know, passing game coordinator or, you know, something of that nature, and, and that could make sense. Um, it would surprise me a little bit if a position coach follows him over. Um, I certainly expect him to try. Like, you could argue, hey, like, hey, Keith, Keith Hayward, Oregon's safeties coach, who was up for consideration of uh, Oregon's D.C. job when Jim Levitt was let go and ultimately Oregon hired Avalos. Like, he could call Hayward and say, hey, you know what? Like, I, I want you to be my D.C. At, at Boise State. And and Hayward's been looking for that. He, he has been open and honest about it, uh, that – he wants to become a head coach someday and that he understands to do that. He probably needs to become a defensive coordinator, whether that's at Oregon or somewhere else, he's probably not going to become a head coach without becoming a defensive coordinator first. So that would be one that, you know, you could maybe see, see transpiring. Um, I, 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 I know people have talked about throwing out Ken Wilson. Um, that would surprise me a little bit though. Uh, Maybe uh maybe a Jim Mastro. Maybe Mastro mm-hmm. wants to become an offensive coordinator, the running yeah. backs coach at Oregon. Um, you know, he's had some re- slight responsibilities at Oregon in terms of play calling. We I, I do believe he called the Nevada game in 2019. Arroyo was gone for a personal reason, and um, yep. Mastro yeah. had had his you know had a one game showing where he uh, was the offensive coordinator. So maybe that plays out um, in into a situation in which they, you know, they hire him and, and bring him on to see what, you know, he can do there. Uh, beyond that, like maybe they, maybe they, you know, maybe Avalos goes after a coach um, and says, Hey, come be my DC. But I, I think unless it's an offensive guy, I just see a scenario where Oregon can, can look at that and say, if they're trying to hire D coordinate, a guy from the defensive staff of Oregon, that the Ducks could say, you know what, we'll consider you for the defensive coordinator job. We'll, we'll, you know, and, and that, that could you know, play a factor in it as well. There's going to be internal candidates that Mario Cristobal will consider to become the, the defense coordinator for the Ducks. So let's talk about some possible candidates. Matt just posted his big board 
on duckterritory.com. That's a VIP story, so we're not going to give you it all. And we should also note that as just as we were starting to record this, Notre Dame announced it had hired Marcus Freeman, um, who was a, a prominent coach, a defensive coach at Cincinnati, defensive coordinator at Cincinnati, kind of a top name. I just I don't even know if Matt knows that, so I wanted to say that before we jumped into some candidates here because I don't. Yeah, yeah, I saw it. Okay, Matt saw it. So I, I, I mean, I, I report yeah. that like, I, like he was on the list, and I can report he had interest in Oregon. Um, you know, but he was also hearing from obviously Notre Dame. He was hearing from Michigan. He was hearing from LSU. He also wants to become a head coach, and there were some other schools, uh, you know, talking about that as well. Um, you know, earlier on in the process, uh, one of the, probably the most sought-after assistant coach out there. Yeah. Now, who who does Oregon hire? Who does Oregon target? I think the first question for Mario Cristobal is, is that he has to look inwards, right? Like he has to ask himself, go through the process with Keith Hayward, who was a finalist for the job previously. Has Hayward improved, you know, has improved his status, his resume, if you will. Is he more prepared now to become a defensive coordinator this time around? Um, you also have two other coach, coaches on your roster who have DC experience. Um, Rod Chance, the cornerbacks coach, he was previously the defensive coordinator at Southern Utah prior to coming to Oregon as a defensive analyst. I mean, he left a coordinator job, was a, was considered a rising star to become an analyst for Oregon, and then be, left Oregon after one year to be the DB coach at Minnesota and then came back this past offseason to fill and as the cornerbacks coach. Um, that would be one way you could hire internally. He has history. He has a good history of being a DC. Um, Ken Wilson, the inside linebackers coach for Oregon, uh, a long time ago. I won't say a long time ago, but over a decade ago, he was uh, DC at Nevada and then left that position to go coach uh, linebackers as a position coach for the Washington State Cougars and uh, was involved as like I think a run game coordinator um, for the Cougars there. Uh, under Mike Leach, and I, I believe also uh, under Alex Grinch, the current DC at Oklahoma. Um, and then you also look at Joe Salavea, associate head coach for the Ducks. Um, Arizona has flirted, it feels like, for the last six years with Joe Salavea to become either their head coach, defensive line coach, associate head coach, or defensive coordinator in some capacity, um, I think that right there is the decision you have to make is, okay, if we have an opening now, we need to decide, is this going to be one that's made internally? Or is this one that we go outside the program to make that coaching higher? And before you, you know, discuss other candidates, you need to know, is the guy on this roster? And, and I don't know that, that answer. Eric. I, I have, a feeling that they should consider some guys, but I don't see a guy that's definitively like he's the, he's the answer. That, that's the DC. Yeah. And I think it's a tough line you have to walk here, especially with someone like Keith Hayward, who clearly wanted this job a couple of years ago when Jim Levitt left of, and again, you want to find the best possible coordinator here and you don't want to promote from within if that's not the case. And we've seen that not work out at Oregon, right? I mean, I, Don Pelham was not the right choice for 
you know, Mark Kelfrich about seven, six or seven years ago, and they made that choice. They played for a national championship, but clearly that was a mistake, and that didn't play yep. out very well. He ended up getting demoted, you know, while he was still on staff because um, it was the wrong, the wrong choice. They ended up bringing in Brady Hoke, and we, we all saw how that was another bad hire at defensive coordinator. Like, Oregon needs to get this hire right, and you can't just hire from within um, because it's an internal guy. But there is something to be said here of, like, at some point, Keith Hayward is just – he wants to be a defensive coordinator, clearly. Yep. And, at, you, 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 again, you don't want to promote him just because he wants that and you're afraid of losing him. You want to get the right person in staff. But I also think Keith Hayward has been a very important part of this program. He's one of the very few coaches brought in under Willie Taggart with Mario Cristobal that coached, um, you know, not – well, Cristobal was here before Cristobal was promoted. Like, he stuck around. He has paid some dues here. And so I do wonder if that's an avenue they go. Um, if they do go internal, I, I would think he would be the odds-on favorite to get that job would be, would be my perspective on it. Um, just in terms of like, he has the most experience at Oregon. I know Joe, actually Joe Salovey has been here, I believe the same amount of time, but like, I, I, I would think that would be the way to go if you're going to go that way. And if you don't, I think you do eventually put yourself in a spot here where Keith Hayward is, is going to start looking around and Keith Hayward has been a coach who traditionally has not spent a ton of times at programs. I think this is maybe the longest he's spent at a school period so, thus far. Yeah. Um, that, that to me, I just think that has to be said of like, you, you, you can potentially lose a really important part of your staff if you don't. Take I was just going to say look. that. Yeah. Yeah. If, if you don't hire out, if you don't hire a Hayward here, that means he's probably been passed over for the job twice now. Yep. And he probably, while he's, his family loves being in, in Eugene, being at Oregon. His wife is a former athlete at the UVO. Um, he played at Oregon State, but loves the state of Oregon. Um, you open up the door now for him to say, you know what? I want to be at DC. He's on record publicly. Yep. You, know, I, you and I both were there when he said that. He wants to be a head coach. And he's now – been passed he would have now been passed over twice for the dc role at oregon and he's probably going to think if it's not happening now when will it happen and if it's not going to happen here i need to start looking somewhere else to become a dc doesn't mean he's looking to leave and openly trying to find any job that would take him but it just opens that door i think where it's like hey if, if it's not going to be hayward you probably need to be prepared and sometime in the near future that he goes and tries to find a DC job at a, at a group of five school or, um, you know, an FCS school or something or power five school, uh, you know, any DC job that is attractive to try and go and get it because he'd been passed over twice. Um, personally, I don't think they should hire internally. Um, I, I, I think you roll the dice there. Um, I think crystal ball has shown that the hires he does make are really, really good. And maybe, maybe, you know, maybe they're the, the, the best op, Maybe the best guy is Hayward. I don't know. But I, I would like to at least see them interview somebody else from outside the program, multiple names. Um, I, I do think there are a couple guys that logistically fit the profile that Oregon coaches have right now um, and their responsibilities because you just can't go out and just like uh, Ryan Walters was a guy that I had on my big board. I've taken him. He's, he's now become the head coach out of Illinois. So he's off the board, but I, I included him on there in, in the original text 
that was attached to it was he is a DB coach and Oregon already has two DB coaches. So that could make kind of your responsibilities a little wonky. Um, Avalos coached outside linebackers for Oregon. So realistically, you want to find somebody who has a background coaching linebackers in general, coaching edge rushers or outside linebackers, because you have Ken Wilson on the inside, inside linebacker. He can coach both, but realistically, the way the D, the D staff is set up right now is they have one guy working the D line because there's three positions there. That's Joe Salavea. They have two linebacker coaches because there's four players there. And then they have two safety DB co- uh, cornerback coaches because there's five guys that play at that position. And to have three at that spot is too much. And you'd have to, you know, you'd have to probably reshuffle your staff a little bit. Um, so I think going out and finding a coach that's got some kind of linebacker edge rusher background uh, makes the most sense. And the name that I think makes the most sense here is you go and you hire Tosh Lopai uh, away from the Atlanta Falcons. Oh boy. He's currently, <laughs> he's currently on that staff. He has been a DC at Alabama when Mario Cristobal was there. Uh, he has a defensive line history. He has outside linebacker history. And he's one of – he's developed good players. And he is probably one of the top 10 best coaches in recruiting, what, in the last 15 years? And you pair that with Mario Cristobal, and you have an absolute beast of a recruiting machine on staff. Oh, gosh. I, this is all coming full circle to, like, seven years ago with Xbox yep. Tosh from Cal and then to Washington and all the – recruiting wins they had um, not necessarily always over Oregon, but the success he had as a recruiter. I mean, this guy was an awesome, awesome recruiter. And then as we said, five-star recruits, he, he helped sign. There you go. And yeah, he's, he signed, he signed these guys from the West coast, not uh, Najee Harris when he was at Alabama, Shaq Thompson, when he was at Washington, Tua Tagovailoa, I can never Tua, Tua when he was at Alabama. Uh, Jonah Williams when he was at Alabama and Keenan Allen when he was at uh, California. So he has signed multiple five-star recruits at multiple schools, West coast, SEC schools that don't have a ton of tradition schools that do have a ton of tradition. I mean, I look at that and think that right there is a perfect world scenario, excuse me, a perfect world scenario for who Oregon should hire. Uh, he coaches outside linebackers, defensive ends. Um, you know, that, that fits what Oregon needs from their roster makeup from a coaching responsibility. And you kind of really and fully entrench yourself even more as the premier recruiting school in the Pac-12 because of the staff that you have. Like, you're already an elite staff from a recruiting perspective, and now you add Tosh, and it just goes up in even another level. Oh boy! I mean, it, it, it's a it's a it's an interesting name, right? And I, I'm sure Oregon fans listening to this who have followed for a while are probably cringing, but also uh, like maybe nodding their heads a little bit. It's kind of a it's kind of an interesting range of emotions because he was such a figure that Oregon fans did not like for such a long time for some of the recruiting stuff that he successes he had some of the tactics. And yet it's really Oregon hard. does the same stuff now. What does it say? It's really hard to argue with the results and the success he had 
both as a coordinator and also obviously as a recruiter. And so that is a name that would certainly move some needles, um, would certainly be a, a different storyline. And you're right in terms of a coach that has some history and connections with Mario Cristobal. And I think that's an important part. There's some other names I know that Matt had on his big board. I don't know how far we want to get into that because it is a VIP feature and we want you to go read that and, and sign up on the site. I don't know, Matt, do you want to run through any more names or do you want to kind of leave one it there? Name, one other name that I would throw out um, has another, has a bunch of other connections to the staff right now. And that's the USC defensive coordinator, Todd Orlando. Um, DC under crystal ball when they were both at Florida international university um, was the DC at UConn during the same time that Oregon OC Joe Moorhead was the offensive coordinator for the UConn Huskies. Um, Orlando and Cristobal are good friends. Orlando and Moorhead are good friends. That might be significantly more difficult to go and hire. Um, he's probably paid. We don't know how well he's paid um, at USC because it's a private school. They don't have to post their um, salaries, but you can assume he's probably paid, handsomely and it could be a little more difficult to pull him away from uh troy but boy would that be a win because i mean think about all the stuff joe moorhead said ahead of the pac-12 championship game of what usc did that was uh very difficult to prepare for very difficult to defend and, and play against and it would also greatly hurt probably your biggest challenger in the conference right now in usc yeah, that, that's a name that makes a lot of sense, too, for the reasons you just listed, Matt. I think, you know, I mean, or, it's hard to see a scenario where we say Oregon has upgraded over Andy Avalos. I'm just going to be, like, point blank about that. Maybe we will be saying something similar a year from now. I, I certainly think, like, it would take a really, really impressive hire for me, or I don't know, I'm not going to speak for you, but for me to say on a podcast once somebody is hired that, oh, wow, they really – boy, they did better. They upgraded. This is a better coach than Andy Avalos. We're going to need some time, a season or two, I think, to really be able to reflect and review that and see if we come to that point here. But I think, I think the reality is, is Mario Cristobal has been an absolute home run hitter in terms of staff hires. Yeah. I mean, it's really hard to come to many that you go, boy, that was a poor choice that were his hire specifically. Um, and, 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 and the ones that haven't been very good, or didn't work out, they have been... They weren't here very long. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, like, think about the receivers coach last year. A lot of you might not remember that name, Javon Bonite. Like, he was here for a year. It was not a fit. He moved on. Oregon replaced him. Um, his replacement, you know, Brian McClendon, has been a tremendous hire, has worked out really, really well. Um, you know, I don't expect him to miss when he takes a shot here. And some of the names Matt's mentioned on this podcast are intriguing. And you go read the rest of the story because there's about half a dozen others that Matt has included in there um, that are also really interesting and intriguing. So um, it's going to be really interesting to see a like, okay, a like what's the timeline for getting this done? Um, you know, it, it's today's January 8th signing day. It's about a month away. The second signing period, Oregon has a lot of this class locked up. So I, I part of me wonders how much does that matter? But this isn't going to, this isn't going to impact recruiting much. Okay. So maybe there's doesn't need to be an expedited timeline, but the other thing is spring practice does start right around yes. that time, a little after. You need to have somebody hired, obviously, I would say at least a couple of weeks before spring practice starts in a perfect world. And, and the, the good thing about this is there's not, not many of these coaches have any reason that, you know, not many of them are still coaching right now. 
or really none of them are still coaching right now. I mean, Tosh LePoy's in the NFL, but the Falcons weren't good enough to make the playoffs. And obviously Todd Orlando's last game of the season at USC was the Pac-12 championship game. So it's not like he has games he's still preparing for. So I, I think Oregon can be pretty aggressive here. And of course we know that Mario Cristobal through back channels and, and, and Oregon has already started to make some, to reach out because they knew this was a possibility and this is a proactive group. And Mario Cristobal has said in the past that they always have, and Rob Mullins has too, that they always have some contingency plans in place. So like, I would say, don't be surprised if this is something that is dealt with in somewhat short order, but I also don't think you should be like, if they don't get if they don't get a higher done or through the weekend or by, even by the end of next week, that this is a failure and that they're, that they're in trouble. Um, there's not necessarily they're, they're really, a huge rush. There's not a rush, right? Like I was just gonna say, there there really isn't a rush here. Get it right. Yeah. Don't 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 freak out. Don't panic. Um, and get it right. And I have no no doubt in my mind that Mario Cristobal will get it right. Like, it it might not be a guy that is as publicly as respected as Andy Avalos. It might be. It it could be. It very well could be. Um, but I also you know. I, I have full confidence, full faith that Oregon will, will make a hire that will be very good. Um, let's end it on this, Eric. Would you rather see a up and coming DC, like a guy that's, that's been never been a DC before, or, you know, was a DC at a group of five school um, or a co you know, a young, you know, 35, 36 year old coach. That's a co DC at uh, a power five school, or would you rather go see a guy get hired via the same similar path that Oregon did with Joe Moorhead, someone that was a head coach maybe this year. You know, Will Muschamp is a great defensive coordinator. He's out of a job as head coach at South Carolina. Um, Texas has gone after him already. He said no to Texas. Um, would you want to see that? Like, like, retread isn't the best term to use, but a guy that's been a DC at multiple stops before, um, would you rather see that or would you rather see go, them go out and hire an up-and-coming young guy who, who maybe this is like his first full-time as full-time DC? I think you need – I think I want – I'd like experience. And I say that in part because I think Oregon is, is not far off from being like competing for championships. And I don't think – just like we talked about the possibility of working through a young quarterback next season or inexperienced players at certain positions – like best case is like, I think Oregon is like, I don't think they're that far off from like legitimately challenging for something big on a national stage. And you would hate to have a year or two that are quote unquote lost or they underachieve a little bit because they bring in somebody who's just not ready and has no experience doing this. I'd, I'd like to see somebody, I, I think a blend of somebody who's been a coordinator and is not like, yeah, we don't want a, a, a retreat period. Like you don't want somebody who's like, like you don't want to do Bob, Bob, Bobby Hoyk. You, you don't, you don't want to hire another Brady hook. Like that's, yes. that's, that's a disaster. You want to find somebody who's, who's not been like fired most recently. And I guess maybe that's a bad example because Will Muschamp is a name that like intrigues me, I think to a certain extent, but like, I'd probably rather have somebody who's, who's been a defensive coordinator for at least three to four years minimum and is, and the hard thing is how many boxes can you check with this candidate? Like, and that's where it gets tough. And I was going to say, like, he's a, he's a, he's a, you want him to be, I, I don't want him to be like in his fifties or sixties. I, I don't like Jim right. Levitt was old. I think that was an issue. You want somebody who's able to be a good recruiter, but also somebody who's got some experience. Cause I, I think you could put yourself at a disservice by promoting somebody who's just never done this before. And I, I, I would just hate to feel like, boy, you know, to have some buyer's remorse here in a year or two, when you look back and go, 
Oregon was just uh, the wrong hire here away. If they would have just hired X, Y, or Z, they could have played for a college football playoff or a national championship. Like if the season goes where the offense really bounces back and is really impressive, but the defense has all this talent, but doesn't feel like it's been maximized. And there's this kind of scuttle behind the scenes that it's in part because of inexperience at that position. Ugh, that would, that would really hurt. And that would be, I think, a situation that you would reflect upon and go, ah, maybe this wasn't the right time to bring in an inexperienced defensive coordinator. And that would be my, also my argument, I hate to say it, against maybe someone like Keith Hayward. Like, to me, if you wanted to promote a Keith Hayward, I would like to Oregon to hire a co-defensive coordinator who is a, an experienced linebackers coach who's got – maybe has some defensive coordinating experience of his own. Maybe that's an older guy like that. But like, I I just think you need to have some sort of seniority here on the staff. Like even Andy Avalos came in and he's like mid thirties, but he had been a defensive coordinator for a handful of years at Boise state before. So that would be my, my perspective. And you disagree. I'm like, like, are you open to like somebody who's like 33 years old? Like, like here's a name that like, Somebody like um, Court Dennison from Louisville. I'm just. I'm not even like reporting that there's any interest, but like somebody who's clearly an up and coming coach who has ties to Oregon, but has never been a DC. Like, is that attractive to you? Because for me, it's like that's kind of. I think Oregon's at a point where they can do better personally. Yes, I agree. They if they hire somebody, um, it needs to be someone that has some kind of history being a DC. I, I I'm okay with it being uh, a guy that's like co DC like. Like he maybe he's the run game co-defensive coordinator and run game coordinator at a power five school like that. That would make sense to me. That would be fine. Um, or a full time young, you know, young guy that's been to D.C. for a couple for a couple of years um, at, at a group of five school. That makes sense. But, yeah, I'm with you. Like hiring a position coach to become your D.C. without any history of that does not would not bode well. They could do better than that. All right, that's going to do it for us here on this emergency edition of the Ots and Audibles podcast. Thank you for listening. Thank you for subscribing to DuckTerritory.com. If you are not a VIP member, go check it out right now. $1 for your first month, $9.95 thereafter. That, uh, get the inside scoop on the Oregon Ducks. And until we talk to you on probably Monday, you've been listening to the Ots and Audibles podcast. Talk to you later, folks.